We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. We lead a team of brave and brilliant story work counselors and coaches around the country, all committed to helping you come alive. Join us as we explore the sacred landscape of the human heart at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. In this season, we're inviting ministry leaders to join us to discuss the challenges they face as they lead and walk with others. Charlie, thanks so much for being with us on the Walking With podcast. We've known you for a good number of years and excited to have you here. So thank you. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role in ministry is? Yeah, so my name's Charlie and I am, where to start? Like I'm married, been married to Liz for about 19 years now. We've got two kids. Natalie is just transitioning into the teenage years. She's 13 going on 14 in a month or so, or a couple months. And then uh, son Peter is 11. So we're kind of like smack dab in the hands-on parenting, but also the, you know, beginning to pull back as well. And purgatory space, I call it. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. you have to be hands-on and they want you to have hands-off. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's so, a confusing time. Yeah, but super, super fun. So in ministry, the teaching pastor at, at Faith Church in Fort Collins, and, you know, basically what that entails is I oversee our preaching ministry, I oversee kind of the theological development of staff and ministry leaders and and different things like that. So when it comes to like theology and the teaching of God's word and setting kind of the theological vision for the church, I'm a part of those discussions and, and lead those different teams at the church. So yeah. it's kind of my role in ministry. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a lot to hold. That's a lot to hold. Yeah. And grateful that you're doing it. Well, why don't uh, you had a really good question that uh, we wanted to see if we could address and be, or maybe begin to address here. Yeah. Today. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what's on your mind? So I think, I mean, obviously in ministry, there's tons of different things that you bump up against and, and wrestle with. But I think for me, one of the the things that I struggle with most is in those moments of ministry where you're you know, you're sitting down with someone either in your office or, you know, they approach you at the church after a service and they're, you know, they're processing their trauma, basically, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. processing their story and their stories kind of filled with trauma. Sometimes the stories are, uh, you know, pretty dark as far as what people have experienced, what they've gone through. And for me, it just, it kind of sends me into this headspace that's really difficult to get out of. And so I guess the question is like, how, how do you, you know, how do you engage with trauma, with, you know, even spiritual darkness and engage it well and, and yet like set it down because it's, at the end of the day, it's like not your trauma. Does that, does that make sense? So how do you, how do you like have a session like that and then go home to, you know, to the things that you have to engage with there? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. And 
such a good question. It's a conversation, Charlie, that we've been having for more than 10 years, for sure. Okay, so because, 15 minutes and we'll just, we'll say, yeah, great, we got it. Because, I mean, because I'm, I'm like Liz, the one on the other side that right. he comes home to. And the stories have only increased in complexity and, and darkness over the years, it seems. And so it's, it's definitely something that we've navigated through of, I see, I see the effects of holding hard stories. Yeah. I see the exhaustion. I see the lowered capacity for, for people and entertaining it, right? Like whatever those effects are that you experience as a wife, as someone in the family, I see the effects, but I don't know the stories. Right. I don't know what's going on, what's churning inside, what, what he's holding and nor should I nor do I want yeah. to, right? So we've had this conversation a lot. And, and Chris, I feel like after 10 years of doing mm -hmm. this work in particular, you have really kind of figured out to the best of your ability what you need to do mm -hmm. to kind of contain mm -hmm. some of those stories and really walk into the door at the end of the day mm -hmm. present to us. Yeah. So why don't you share some of those yeah. things that you landed on? Well, it's, it's so hard because I think the first thing I think of is that we have to expect that we're going to brush up against darkness. And if not just brush up, like be full on surrounded by darkness. Yeah. We have to expect that that's part of it. And I think when that's not, that's not a seminary class you go to, like how to engage darkness. It's, it's no, not it a, would be a one. <laughs> it would be a super helpful one and it would be, it'd be important, but we have to expect like, just as Jesus engaged with, with, darkness on on the regular i think we have to expect that and that's the first thing is that we can't walk into a conversation like you know where someone's telling us their story or engaging their trauma and not expect it we have to expect it because i think that's when people are blind to the idea that they will encounter darkness that's when it actually becomes all the more shadow hmm. for us and so that's the first thing i would say is we have to expect that the second is that by expecting it, that creates for us an opportunity to walk into the conversation from a different place, huh, to walk into the that. conversation from a different posture. So what, what I have found helpful is, for example, and, and people can do this in any variety of ways, whether it's you know with some kind of ritual or prayer or something, but one very, very simple example is that when I knew that I was walking into a session or multiple sessions with somebody, I would light a candle. And for me, it's not about the candle, but it was the prayerful posture of entering into a dark space with light, even before the person showed up. That's cool. And it was this prayerful expectation that I am not the light. Yeah. Yeah right? This invitation of God to come into the space. I would pray. I would pray over the room. I would pray over where I knew they would be sitting and light the candle in expectation and anticipation of darkness to watch, walk in with. Mm. And then at the end of either the session or at the end of the day, if I had several people I was working with, then it would do the opposite. I would prayerfully bless where the people had sat and prayerfully, you know, just think through the stories that I had engaged and what had happened and, and the darkness that had been brought and, and then bring it back to the light 
and, and remind myself and as if God needs reminding, but I would remind him too, that he is the light over all the darkness. And yeah. as I blow this candle out and I go home, it is his responsibility to take the darkness and bring light, no, not mine any longer. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean by expectation and kind of the anticipation of that. Yeah. I love that ritual because it, it, I mean, it's highly symbolic. And I love the, I love the symbolism of, 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 of God being the one that, that steps into that place and ultimately has to push back the darkness and deal with the trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even one candle can light a room. Yeah. Literally in a very, very dark room, one flame can light a room and cause darkness to flee. And my hope obviously is that there's, you know, 5,000 lumens that are being brought into the room and, and God's presence is there, but even one, one little candle can, can change things. The other thing it did for me, Charlie, was it wasn't just about the beginning and the end. It was in the middle as well. Hmm. That as the stories were being told, as darkness was coming, I could then look at the light yeah, and yeah. reminded myself that I am not alone in this place and that I am not the light. And as it burned throughout the day or throughout the session, that was so reassuring to me to, to remind myself. And you know, whoever I was with didn't even know I was doing that. They didn't right. know the internal work that, that was happening for me as the darkness was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think another thing that counselors inherently have if they are working with a team that maybe pastors have, maybe not, but Chris always had confidential consult group that agreed to hold those stories together. So Mm. when one got particularly difficult or particularly dark, evil was definitely present or just Mm -hmm. difficult, there were others to share that story with confidentially that wasn't me either, right? That wasn't a family member. At least someone else did know what he was holding. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps even as a staff team, you guys could decide here and there to hold stories together so that you don't feel as alone or as burdened with something that's, you know, constantly you're ruminating on and have nobody, Mm -hmm. nobody to share it with. That was helpful Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And in those spaces, it was, you know, that it was the confidentiality of there's no, it's called, you know, personal identifying information. Right. So we wouldn't share who it was, but it would be like, I had a client last week and blank, blank, blank. These, these were some of the things that happened and it's, you know, bound in the, in the context of confidentiality. And it also, I, I feel like darkness always wants to separate and isolate. Right. And so even the person who's listening and is walking with someone, it's wanting to separate and isolate. And so having a group of people breaks that, breaks that. What do you mean by that though? Well, for you to, for you to go to the office, for you to hear these stories, and then for you to go home and for you to have to be like, I have to hold this all by myself. Yeah. Cause that's what it feels like sometimes. Like, cause you, you don't want to just bring it into your family, especially in, in, you know, your family's engaged with your church. So sometimes they know the people or the families or the kids and, you know, you can't, you you can't, yeah, you can't bring that into the family and say, Hey guys, this was, 
you know, this was was your day, dad. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And that's where, well, you won't be hanging out with so-and-so any longer. (laughs) (laughs) And so for us, it's to not be an isolated pastor or minister or counselor that I will be amongst a community of others who will be with me in the work that I do, even though the work that I do is private and individual one-on-one with another person that I won't be there alone. Even this morning, we just had uh, a consultation with our team, our, our counseling team. And this week we had a pretty significant trauma happen. Actually, I learned about a second one that happened this week. And so we, we can't hold those alone. And I don't want the counselors, you know, whose clients had those things to be alone. And I don't want to be there either. So that'd be another thing. And, and, you know, good point, Beth, that that's inherent in some counselor work. If you're part of a counseling team, like restoration is, but I wonder if creating some monthly rhythm or biweekly rhythm with a couple others. Right. Could be helpful. Yeah. I think that would be, and, and it's helpful to, the, the whole idea of confidentiality, like even the language of, I was meeting with this person, because sometimes you feel like who, you know, I mean, th- there are obviously like reporting structures where if you hear some things, you have to report it. But, but then there are just other issues of trauma that you come up against that you're just, you know, just, just to be able to say, hey, I had a meeting and this is the story that I heard or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so- yeah. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind is years ago, I remember Chris asking Dan Allinger what he did in this very same question. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do this year after year? And I remember Dan saying to you, Chris, that he had started doing yoga <laughs> with his wife, Becky. And the, the somatic yeah. metabolizing of all of those hard stories had been life-changing for him. Wow. And he encouraged, I remember he encouraged you to do yoga and like that didn't happen at all. Like, well, we were out, for, we were out for dinner and he started to do yoga in the middle of the restaurant to show me it's some totally of the Dan. that was totally particularly helpful for him, but right, right, but I'm not a yoga guy. You're not a yoga guy, but what I've noticed is when you are regularly walking mm-hmm. and starting and ending your day with a walk, even just around the neighborhood, you're you're so different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just different. And so I do I'm think different. there is finding something that works for you. That's, that's some other sense, right? right? So is it physical? Is it smell? Is it auditory finding, you know, particular songs that you play to kind of trigger, okay, I'm concluding this day and now right. I'm shifting, I'm transitioning. I think there's something about that in our bodies that we need as well, like find mm-hmm. the rhythm mm-hmm. that works for you mm-hmm. to help make that shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, can I ask Beth the question? Yeah. Like as, as a wife is, are there, are there like, cause, cause you notice the, you know, that maybe a, a different Chris has walked into the home. Is there a helpful I don't know, a helpful tool or something that you found to at least name that so that it's not just hanging in the air. So just to acknowledge, hey, I notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like today like, you're holding a lot more. Well, t- yeah, that's a great question. Typically he signals me with an emoji 
of like a wine glass on his way home. <laughs> and that's just the way we'll communicate. Like this was a doozy of a day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm prepped. Sometimes, yeah, it's it's noticeable and there's less containment that has happened. And so he's just kind of leaking and oozing. Which, which less containment us. for me means I'm like, I'm snarky. Yeah. I'm, I'm short. I'm, I'm whatever. I'm not present. I'm sharp, whatever. Yeah. My go-to would be give him a wide berth and like just not try and talk or attend. But that's actually the opposite of what he wants and needs. We've had to navigate that too. Mm. Is that in that moment, he actually needs more affection and more tenderness and more me to draw closer, even though I would prefer to flee. <laughs> so we've had to figure that out, what his needs are in that. And it's opposite from what feels natural to me. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've been learning that mm -hmm. for sure. I think, you know, the reason for the wanting you to draw close, and this would be another point I would make in this conversation, is that we can't hold someone else's darkness and trauma without it also triggering our own. Hmm. And it is important for us as we're blowing up a candle or driving home or in a COVID world coming upstairs, right? It's that we have to pause for a few moments and allow the Holy Spirit to be with us as humans, not as the pastor or the counselor, but like what happened to me today? Right. What part of my story came up as I was walking with someone else in theirs and attend to those places. And so when I come home, what I need is for someone to pursue me hmm. as a human, for someone to care for me, for someone to know today was a doozy of a day. And I'm going to bring some nurture. I'm going to bring some presence and pursuit to you so that, because I want to care for your story as you're caring for others. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm going to then tell, hey, these are all the things that happened today. I don't ever do that. But it's it's just that someone else is going to care for me for a moment because I spent my day caring for others. Because mm -hmm. I, I feel like sometimes, at least for me, there's a sense of this, this is like, I don't know, like this is what I've gotten myself into. <laughs> you know, Like I said yes to ministry. So I sometimes I don't have that nurturing like, you know, it's just like, this is my job. This is what I carry. This is, you know, and, and so it often the prayer, at least for me up to this point, hasn't been like, you know, God nurture me, you know, it's God continue to strengthen me, like continue to help me to continue on, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference in that, right. To, yeah. to, I need more strength to carry on versus an acknowledgement of I am a human too, and I am in need of care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's an old, is it Twyla Paris song? Is, yes, is it's an it? old Twyla Paris song. That underneath all of the armor that we wear out, you know, in the world and we're fighting the battles beneath all the armor is just a little boy. The war, yeah, the, I have it on my playlist. I play it every once in a while on those doozy days as I drive home. And it goes, it says something along the lines of underneath all that armor, the warrior is a child. Mm. And that is a, such a good perspective to, to walk back into the house with, with making your child available to your spouse, whether yeah. it's to your husband or to your wife, that to, to make your child available, that they, you don't need to be a warrior anymore. You can come step into a space of nurture. But you, yeah. if you've asked 
for it. And if you've identified what nurture looks like, <laughs> otherwise it doesn't feel nurturing. Yeah. But so to have those conversations of what yeah. feels nurturing to you and, and ask that when appropriate. Otherwise you'll keep blundering yeah. through yeah. it with each other. <laughs> Charlie, such a good question. And it sounds like you, you often hold a lot and hold the darkness that comes or experience the darkness, I should yeah. say, that comes your way. And that, that means that you're doing really good work and that you're being disruptive to the kingdom of darkness and he's not happy. He's not happy yeah. with you. And to be aware that your, your work is spiritual. Your work involves a warrior who is going after the kingdom of darkness and to be tired, to be uh, frustrated, to be afraid, to be angry. All of those things come as a result of that. And to really tend to yourself afterwards, beforehand, anticipate it, check out from it when you can, go on those runs, go on those walks like I do with my dog, just to, to be human again. Yeah. Rehuman size yourself. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Great question. Super Thanks awesome. for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah. The Walking With Podcast is a product of Restory Labs, the digital laboratory of Restoration Counseling Center. And did you know, under Restory Labs, we host another podcast called Thrive Marriage. If you or someone you know is married, subscribe to Thrive to hear professional and personal stories on topics relevant to couples who want more for their relationship. You can learn more about us on our website in the show notes, and we'll see you same time, same place next week.